Anytime someone experiences freedom, the kingdom of God has come. That, that, that's, that's what we see in Jesus' ministry. People who are, who are bound up, people who are struggling, people who are dealing with different, different ailments, different issues in their, in their emotions, different challenges, afflictions, whatever's going on. Every time somebody experiences freedom, it's a sign that the kingdom of God has come near. It's shown up. So this is really important for us when we look at Jesus' mission statement in Luke 4 to understand that Jesus comes to set captives free. Jesus comes to set captives free. He says that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That's, that's a huge part of his mission, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That the, and, and, and so when you, when you look at Jesus' life, you watch him walking around, you watch him ministering, you watch him going from town to town. Jesus' message and his mission is essentially this, if you're taking notes, that whatever you are held captive by, you don't have to be held captive by it any longer. This is essentially what Jesus is doing. Every time he's driving out an evil spirit, every time he is healing somebody who is sick, every time he's bringing hope to someone who is hopeless, he's essentially saying, hey, whatever you're held captive by, you don't have to be held captive by that any longer. Like, you don't have to live that way. Just because that's the way it's always been doesn't mean that's the way it has to always be. Hey, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> it's one of those days for me. So uh, this happened like a few times a year, so I'm just going to try to try to power through it. But welcome. It's good to see you today. Hopefully it warms up a little bit as we go. Uh, good to be back together as a church family today. Um, we are in a teaching series called Jesus. It's a series we've been in uh, since the beginning of the year, one that we're going to continue to be in all the way up until Easter Sunday. And uh, basically what we have been doing in this series is we have been really trying to look at <clears throat> what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What, is it, what does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus? And what we've kind of learned is that, and, and been teaching is that to do this, it really means that we've got to live into three big ideas. Number one, we want to we be with Jesus. Number two, we want to then become like Jesus. And three, we want to start to do the kinds of things that Jesus did in the world, right? And so um, if, you, if you were here last week, like Pastor Lori mentioned, you know, I uh, gave a message called Loving the Poor. And, and you know, one of the, one of the toughest uh, sermons I think I've ever given, one of, the, one of the ones I've been the most nervous to give, actually, prior to it. And um, it all of that just to say that the purpose of that message was really to kind of lean into this idea of how do we do the things that Jesus did. And one of the things he did well was he loved the poor, right? And, and so I talked about how uh, very practically we should be people who think this through ahead of time, it, 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 how we're going to interact, how, how we're going to respond to somebody in need instead of just the classic response, you know, like I don't have any cash on me right now, I'm sorry. So is there, is there a better way to approach that? Uh, to be prepared in those moments, to know what we're going to say or what we're going to do. And I talked about how in the past we've, we've had what's called blessing bags available to hand out to people. Uh, you know, we've given them to you. Uh, they've be, been these, these like freezer uh, size Ziploc bags full of different items uh, that you could hand out to somebody in need. And so what we did this week is we bought the supplies to be able to produce 100 of them. And they're going to be available right after the service today for you to grab one at these double doors on your way out. We just want you to have a practical tool 
for how to, how to love the poor. And, uh, and it, I encourage you to maybe throw five bucks in there also. So when you see somebody who's struggling, when you see somebody who's asking for help, that it, you, know, you can actually show them the love of Jesus and, and interact with them a little bit, all right? And then hopefully you'll take this idea and produce some of your own and, and just be ready when you see people who are uh, in need. And man, that's a, good, that's a good practical for us today. And so the kids uh, this morning, they were stuffing these bags. We're gonna have 100 of them right here as you leave. And uh, pray, ask God to highlight throughout the day somebody in need that you could be a blessing to. Amen? Okay, if you're taking notes, uh, I want you to catch this, uh, this scripture as we get started today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into into that. If you're taking notes, I want you to catch this thought as we get started today. The assignment that we have been given is to do what Jesus did. The assignment we've been given is to do what Jesus did. You see, I think that it is all too easy for us to become enamored with planet Earth. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think it's so easy for us to just get sort of caught up in Earth, you know, and, and the things of this life where we live life as if it's all about the next thing here, when really we have this very short time on earth, right, called life, 70 years plus or minus, where we try to live our lives as best as we can to make a difference for eternity so that we can spend eternity with as many people as possible. So just to be clear this morning, the assignment is to make a difference, all right? That is the assignment. If you're, if you're taking notes, you want to catch this thought, maybe you're curious about, you know, your purpose, what your purpose is. This is your purpose right here. My, the purpose of my life is to make a difference. The purpose of my life is to make a difference. A year ago, uh, we needed to upgrade one of our vehicles, and so I was at the dealership, and uh, I had somebody coming over to my house. I'd kind of been going a few days through uh, this process of buying the vehicle. We decided we were going to do it. And uh, thank God we bought it a year ago, right, than, than right now. Anyway, uh, praise Jesus. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we were buying this vehicle, and I was, I was there, um, uh, had been going through the process for days. Uh, I, I talked to the, to, to the dealership, and I said, okay, can you get everything ready? So all I got to do is just show up, sign some papers. I'm out the door in just a few minutes, because I've done this before where it takes all day, right? And, and so, uh, as I'm sure some of you have. And so I, I get there. I've got someone coming over to my house to help me with some stuff. And uh, I walk in. The finance manager wants to talk to me. And, and, and I'm like, okay, I just got to sign some paperwork. And I sit down at his desk. And he says, he says, all right, I noticed that you're a pastor. I'm like, yeah, man, I got like 20 minutes, okay? So, and, uh, and, you know, I'm thinking this. I'm like, shoot, what is he going to say? And he says, he goes, uh, all right, quick question. So, so what's like, what's the meaning of life? You know, like, what's the meaning of life? Are you kidding me? Right now, I've got 20 minutes, right? And so I just go, oh, no. All right, so here we go. We're going to do this. And, uh, and, and so I just, I just began to explain to him. I'm like, well, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, like, the meaning of life is just to make a difference and an impact in other people's lives. That You don't just live life for you. You live your life in such a way that it makes an eternal impact in someone else's life. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. And, then, and he's like, okay, that's good. He goes, now, now, what about the Bible? What if you don't believe everything the Bible teaches? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And, and so he just stops. He stops me mid-sentence, and he's like, he's like I'm just messing with you. I, I love Jesus, too. I just wanted to see what you'd say. And so, and so I just, I have to just, uh, I had to just sign the paperwork. Anyway, because he put me through that, he gave me like a really good deal on the extended warranty. So um, anyway, <laughs> that's my story. So the purpose of my life is to make a difference. 
And I just want to tell you that I don't think that you'll be very happy with your life until you are using it to make an impact in somebody else's, because this is what we're meant to do. This is what we are meant to do. We're meant to see other people. We're meant to make a difference in their life, to use our life to make an impact. The impact that Jesus has made, we want to use that to make an impact into other people. We're meant to do what Jesus did, amen? So how many of y'all remember the very famous question and marketing movement that became mainstream in the 90s called, what would Jesus do? Y'all remember that? All right, WWJD gained a ton of notoriety and exposure within pop culture uh, in the 90s through these bracelets and, and through, these, uh, yeah, through, the, through these bracelets and wristbands that became a must-have accessory for just about every kid in just about every youth group in America. Do you remember these? So I've got mine on today, right? So uh, <laughs> how, many how many of y'all had one? How many of y'all had one of these bracelets, right? Yeah, so, no, no doubt, no doubt. What was so interesting about this movement, if you remember, it was interesting about the movement is that, man, even people who, had, who would have admitted they had a loose affiliation with the church, they would have had one of these. They became incredibly trendy. Even celebrities were wearing these, right? Let me just, let me just give you a couple examples of some celebrities here. Here's the first one. This is uh, basketball legend icon Allen Iverson, and uh, showing some ink right there. Uh, you can see, though, right on his wrist, that black little wristband, it's WWJD. Now, I, listen, I, I'm a basketball fan. I love basketball. I followed Iverson's career, and I just, I just want you to know, like, as, as he's a great basketball player, but I'm still a little surprised to see him wearing that bracelet. I'm not sure how many times he's asked the question, what would Jesus do? You know what I mean? If you know anything about him. Okay, next, next picture. This is Kanye West, uh, and, and you see him wearing the bracelet, and, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, Kanye was very vocal about trying to follow Jesus. If you followed him in recent months, you know, you know, it's, it's been a, maybe, maybe, maybe a little more difficult for him than it was then, right? So it, this became very trendy for celebrities to, to wear this. The whole point is that this became a movement, uh, and uh, it even made its way onto The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Why don't you check out this quick clip? Thank you, people who wear a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? For already doing something that Jesus probably wouldn't do. <laughs> there you have it, those are my thank you notes. All right, quick. Okay, so that, all that just to tell you that WWJD became a movement, right? And, uh, and, and you know, that's, that's what we kind of want to look at. And, and so we want to look at this question, what would, Je what would Jesus do? And it's, it's a... It, it, you know, I bring that up because I want you to know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a great question. I also don't think it's necessarily like a bad question. I, I think that it's just, it's just you know, a question that has a little bit of, a little bit of challenge to it. Um, it's a bit misleading. It's a bit of a misleading question. Like when you, when you really think about it, think about this, what exactly would Jesus do? And the problem with that question is that Jesus was a first century single male Jewish itinerant rabbi. And, you know, it's a little bit tricky because for most of you, that's not who you are. Am I, am I right? That's, that's, not, that's not who you are. And, and so it's difficult when you ask the question, what would Jesus do? You know, and you're thinking about, you, you, know, you know, where should I live? And should I, should I rent? Should I, should I buy? Should I sell? You know, what should I do? And, and so you start to pray about that and you ask, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, what would Jesus do? It's a pretty difficult question because Jesus would probably just camp a lot. You know what I mean? Like Jesus would probably just couch surf in his rich friend's living rooms. You know, he, that's pretty much what he did. So it can be a very difficult question where we're like, okay, we're, we hear it, we understand it, but we're trying to like apply it to our modern context. Um, and so WWJD can be difficult to answer. 
uh, and the point is that there are things about our lives that don't always translate very easily, you know, to, to first century culture and the life of Jesus walking around, you know, the, the dusty streets of Israel, right? And so um, it takes some creativity uh, to really think through this question, what would uh, Jesus do? Because we don't always see examples from Jesus's life that translate super easy to our life. Like, for instance, Jesus wasn't married. So what would Jesus do when it comes to like, you know, how to navigate different marriage challenges? Jesus didn't have kids. So it can be very difficult sometimes when you're like, because we appreciate the, the sentiment behind the question, and it's not all that bad of a question, and I love the heart behind the question, but I would tell you that I think an even greater question that is similar but different is this, if you're taking notes. It's what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he were me? If he had my influence, if he had my gender, if he had my age or stage of life, if he had my ethnicity, if he had my education or lack thereof, if he had my upbringing, if he had my experiences, good or bad, if he had my job, if he had my family, if he had my house, if he had my life, what would Jesus do if he were me? I think this is a far more interesting question for you and me as we seek to apprentice under Jesus, right? Because it, it takes some creativity to really answer this question. You know, what would Jesus do if he were me? That's not a very easy question always to answer, and, and, and it's a question that you can't just ask and answer within isolation. It's just a, this is a question that really requires community to, to answer because it's like, I, don't leave me just up to answering this question by myself because I might, I might sell myself short. I might, I might answer the question a little soft. Like, I need community. I need people around me to really answer this question the right way. How would Jesus live my life if he were me? Look at what Dallas Willard says. He says, discipleship is learning from Jesus how to live my life as he would live it if he were me. That's what discipleship is. We talked about in week two, I think it was, of this series early in January, that disciple really means the same thing as apprentice. And so when we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about apprenticeship. We're talking about learning from Jesus. We're talking about studying under Jesus so that we can do the kinds of things that Jesus did in this world. And so if you're an apprentice of Jesus, which I hope you are, and I hope you see yourself as one, an apprentice of Jesus, then your goal and my goal is to grow and mature, not overnight, but to grow and mature into the kind of person who can carry on the work of Jesus. That is, that is the goal. That is the hope. We want to be people who embody the mission and the message of Jesus so that we can carry on the work of Jesus in the here and now. Amen? Okay, so what is the work of Jesus then? What is the work of Jesus that we are to carry on in, in uh, 2022? It's much more than just teaching, Okay. Jesus' work, if you read the Gospels, it was really to usher in the kingdom of God by shining hope into the places where the darkness was the darkest. This is what you see when you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels. You see him stepping into dark places and shining his light. You see him unafraid to bring the hope of the good news of the Gospel to, to, the, to really the darkest places. And so, and so I want you to just to catch this thought with me today. Doing what Jesus did is a bit nuanced when it comes to the decisions of my life, for sure. We kind of just talked about that. Because when it comes to like where I should live or, 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 or what decisions we should make with our kids or, or all of these things, you know, we're dealing with maybe some different challenges than what you read about explicitly like in, 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 in the Gospels in the first century. And so when it comes to how I live my life and the decisions I make, there's some nuance to it. I got I to gotta kind of like read between the lines. I got to take like the character and, and the things that are, that are communicated in the Gospels and then try to apply those to my life in a modern context. But when it comes to the mission of Jesus, there's no nuance. That's, that's what I want you to catch. Like the decisions of your life, there's some nuance. But when it comes to the mission of Jesus, there's none. It's, it's the same mission in the first century as it is now. 
And so I want us to, to look again this week, once again, at the mission of Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 4. These are some scriptures we looked at last week. And this is what you see in Luke's gospel. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So, so what's going on here is Jesus, this is, this is post his baptism, right, where he goes down to the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptizes him as he's coming up out of the water. The dove descends, the Spirit of God descends upon him, and then he goes from there immediately into the desert where he is tempted for 40 days, goes face-to-face with the devil. He is, uh, um, you know, at his weakest moment, he's being tempted, and he uh, doesn't give in to his flesh. From there, his ministry begins, and Jesus begins to do, like, unbelievable, mind-blowing things. He's healing the sick. He's preaching with authority and power. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. He is, uh, 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 you know, raising the dead. He's driving out demons. And, and so this is what's going on. Like, his popularity is, is, is spreading. People are like, who is this man? You know, he, he, he's a miracle worker. He's a powerful teacher. He understands the scriptures in ways like, like people just, you know, uh, hadn't heard before. And so his, his fame, his notoriety is spreading. And so it's, then it says in verse 16 that he went to Nazareth. And this is his hometown. This is where Jesus grew up. This is up and around the region of the Sea of Galilee, which is where his ministry began. He primarily ministered and lived in and around the city of Capernaum. But he grew up in Nazareth, which isn't that far away. And so it says, like, basically as his ministry is growing and his fame is growing, he decides to go back home where he had been brought up, and it was on the Sabbath day, and he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were, were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a, uh, this is a big deal, okay? Jesus is in the synagogue of his hometown in Nazareth on the Sabbath, and while he's there, the Bible tells us, that he stands up, he takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he begins to read a very famous section that they would, have been, they would have known, a very famous section of scripture that really foretold of the coming Messiah, the long-awaited, hoped-for Messiah who would, who would come and deliver the Jewish people from all of their oppression. This is, this is what Jesus is reading. And so everybody who was there in the synagogue that day, they would have understood these scriptures, what they were talking about, that they were talking about the Messiah so you can imagine the mixed emotions and mixed reactions in the room as Jesus reads from the, from the scroll, sits down, looks at them, and basically just says, hey, this 700-year-old prophecy, uh, it, it is now finally fulfilled on this day by me. And this is kind of a big deal. Jesus is basically saying to them that this prophecy was written about me, and today it is fulfilled through me, okay? The one you've been waiting for, like, like I'm it. This is who, this is who, uh, this is who it is. It's me. And so this prophecy from Isaiah, it's Isaiah chapter 61, by the way, uh, this, is, this, is, this is a prophecy that is about Jesus. And it indicates the purpose of Jesus' arrival on planet Earth, that he came to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives and the recovery of sight for the blind, 
to release the oppressed and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And so what I mentioned last week that Luke 4 is that Luke 4 is really Jesus' mission statement. Like, you want to know why he came? You want to know what his purpose was? You want to know what Jesus was about as he was here in, 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 in bodily form, in flesh? You know, Jesus was about this. This was his mission statement. These are the things that he was accomplishing. He was preaching good news to the poor. He was proclaiming freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, and, and the release of the oppressed. And then he just declared the year of the Lord's favor. This was uh, incredible. And so Jesus came to fulfill this prophecy, all right? He came to fulfill this prophecy. Now, this is what I want you to consider. That most of Jesus' ministry was spent preaching about the kingdom of God, healing people who were sick, and casting out demons. You read the Gospels, this is primarily what Jesus did when it came to his ministry. He preached about the good news of the kingdom, he healed people who were sick, and then he cast out demons, he drove out demons. Now, in the Western post-enlightenment-influenced moment that we are in right now, Many people, including really a lot of Christians, don't often have room in their worldview for demonic activity. Like that, that's, just, that's, just, that's just reality. That's just what we deal with. You know? that's, that's what shows up in the church. A lot of people just don't have room for this. It's like, I don't even know what, what you're talking about. But I want you to remember that for Jesus, the spirit realm, to him, it's completely normal. Like this, you read in the Gospels, it's completely normal to Jesus. Like he, he recognizes this is a spiritual matter. This isn't just a natural matter. This isn't just something physical. This is something spiritual. Look at, it's completely normal to him. Look at Colossians 1.16. Paul writes and says, for by him, Jesus, right? So he's talking about all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and, and what's the word? Invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Now, just to be clear, Jesus did not create demons. I want you to catch that, okay? I'm not trying to preach that. Jesus did not create demons, but since the fall of Satan and, and, and one third of all of the angels in heaven who fell at the same time, as well as the fall of humans from the intimate relationship they have with the Father in the garden, you gotta understand that a war has been going on ever since, okay? Ever since. A war has been going on. And the, the war that I'm talking about, it's typically invisible to the human eye. It's a war that is perceived and known and understood by the Spirit. Right? It's, it's, it's one that you just, you just perceive. Like, like when you're dealing with something or someone or you're in a room or you're in a situation, something that your spirit just knows, it perceives there's something else happening here besides just what I see in the natural. And the reason why you gotta understand this, it's really important if you're taking notes today because, because look at this, the invisible war is the place where Jesus did a ton of ministry. A ton of ministry. You look at his, at his life and you're like, this is, this is like, he, he, I mean, it, this is all very natural to him. This is all very normal to him. Like he, he looks at, at what's going on and he recognizes there's something greater, there's something behind the surface and he addresses that. Over and over again, Jesus stepped into this invisible war by using his spiritual authority to free people from demonic oppression and to heal them from every sickness and every disease. This is, this is like, we see this over and over again. Look at a couple of examples. Mark chapter one says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come, okay, to preach good news to the right, of the kingdom. In verse 39, so he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Okay, this is a big deal. Matthew chapter 9, we see another example. It says Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is what Jesus was doing. 
Like, this is, this is so good, right? You read these verses, you see Jesus going around preaching, driving out demons, going around preaching, healing every disease and sickness. So good. I mean, like, like, why do drugs when you can do scripture, right? This is so good. Like, right here, honestly, like, I'm not even messing with you. Like, this is good. Like, like who is this man? I want to know who Jesus is, right? Are you not compelled to dive into the scriptures and know more about him? Look at the stuff he is doing. It's, 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 it's amazing. And in both of these examples, in Mark and Matthew, Jesus preaches the good news of the kingdom, and then he demonstrates the kingdom. So he's going around to every synagogue, he's talking to people, and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom has come near, but then he doesn't just stop with preaching, he then just demonstrates the kingdom. So he says, here's the good news, the kingdom has come near, now be healed, now be made whole. Right, you see what's going on here? So catch this, catch this with me today. I want you to see this in the life of Jesus, and it's, it's, it's this idea that anytime someone experiences freedom, the kingdom of God has come. Anytime someone experiences freedom, the kingdom of God has come. That, that, that's, that's what we see in Jesus' ministry. People who are, who are bound up, people who are struggling, people who are dealing with different, different ailments, different issues in their, in their emotions, different challenges, afflictions, whatever's going on. Every time somebody experiences freedom, it's a sign that the kingdom of God has come near. It's shown up. And so this is really important for us when we look at Jesus' mission statement in Luke 4 to understand that Jesus comes to set captives free. Jesus comes to set captives free. He says that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That's, that's a huge part of his mission, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. So who are the captives? Who are the ones who are imprisoned? Don't we, think, we probably should know that. Who are the ones that Jesus has come to set free? Well, it's those caught in sin, those who have given themselves over to darkness, those who are sick, the demonically oppressed, those who have experienced broken relationships, those who, who uh, have different types of addictions, different mindsets that are, that are unhealthy, uh, and then destructive patterns in their life. These are the ones that Jesus has come to set free. Aren't you grateful today that Jesus has come to set the captives free? Are you, are you not grateful for that? Are you grateful that Jesus has come to set you free? Are you, are you a recipient of this freedom? Has he set you free? You know, we, we, we see this as Jesus' mission, and it's, it's, it's really uh, incredible. That the, and, and, and so when you, when you look at Jesus' life, you watch him walking around, you watch him ministering, you watch him going from town to town. Jesus' message and his mission is essentially this, if you're taking notes, that whatever you are held captive by, you don't have to be held captive by it any longer. This is essentially what Jesus is doing. Every time he's driving out an evil spirit, every time he is healing somebody who is sick, Every time he is bringing hope to someone who is hopeless, he's essentially saying, hey, whatever you're held captive by, you don't have to be held captive by that any longer. Like, you don't have to live that way. Just because that's the way it's always been doesn't mean that that's the way it has to always be. Sin makes people captive, and it enslaves them. And Jesus just, just has this message to people. And that whatever you're held captive by, you don't have to be held captive by it any longer. Do you know that this message of Jesus you know, it has a lot of influence on, on why and how we, we worship Jesus and why, why and how we praise. What, like it has a lot to do with the kind of culture we have in here on a Sunday morning when, when, you know, the worship band is going and they're leading us, you know, trying to lead us into the presence of God. The message of Jesus that, you know, what you're held captive by, you don't have to be held captive by that any longer, that has a huge effect on how we praise and how we worship. It's why we get a little bit of excited when we worship. It's why, it's why you may see some people raise their hands and just get, get, get loud. It's why, it's why you know, if, if, if you're near me, you may hear me start shouting unless I'm, I don't have a voice. Like, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, this is why, because there's so much excitement in this truth that what you have, have been held captive by, you don't have to be held captive by it 
anymore. And so, you know, you, you may be in here and maybe come from a little more reserved background and that's fine. But, but you know, like, like, like there are people in here to just start to get a little noisy. Like, don't, don't mind that. That's just what freedom sounds like. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't, you don't have to get like, like put off by that. You don't have to get like, like, like weirded out by that. This is just what freedom sounds like. It's, it's, the, it's the noise. It's the sound of freedom. And, and so like, like the message of Jesus that proclaims over you and over me that what has held you captive, you don't have to be held captive by that anymore, produces in us a response to Jesus, oftentimes through praise and worship. And, and, and so when it gets noisy, when it gets loud, when there is, is, is just voice after voice being risen towards heaven, that's just the sound of freedom in the room. All right, and that's why that's part of why we do what we do. It's part of why, like, man, when that when that guitar goes and the drums hit, like, I just can't hold back. It's why, like, I, I'm just I know where I have been, I know what my life has looked like, I know the the shortcomings, I know my story, and I know who who God has made me into and what He's delivered me from. And so, when 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 the music starts, it's just what freedom sounds like, you know. It's just what freedom sounds like. And so, so here we just have a lot of freedom. Like you can clap, you can sing. I mean, you can do whatever you want. I, I don't care. You can, you can jump a little bit. I don't, I don't really care. Like, because it's what freedom sounds like. It's what freedom looks like. Some of you, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe you're thinking that we veered off topic a little bit and you're like, like hey, like, like what are we doing today? So let's bring it back to the beginning. Like, how does all of this relate to doing what Jesus did? How does all of this relate? Because we look at what Jesus did I read you some interesting scriptures about how he like went throughout town after town pre- preaching the good news of the, of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and uh, healing every sickness and disease and driving out demons. So like, what does that mean? What are we getting at? I want you to look at this thought. This, this is how we're gonna shift gears. Jesus has come to heal the damage that sin brings to people, and he wants us to do the same. When it comes to doing what Jesus did, he came to heal the damage that sin brings to people, and he wants us to do the same. This is not just an assignment for pastors. This is not just an assignment for professional Christians. This is not just an assignment for people who, who have, you know, uh, a lot of knowledge in the scriptures and, and, you know, whatever, and can just go, uh, you know, through, you know, each doctrine perfectly. Like, this is an assignment that we have been given to make a difference in people's lives. Make a difference in people's lives. Sin makes people captive. It enslaves them, and Jesus comes to set them free, and we are given the assignment to help people find freedom. This is the assignment we have been given. It's an awesome assignment, by the way. Like, I want you just to think about it. Because, like, there's a chance, there's chances, like, some of you in here have never experienced God use you in that way. And that's okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not getting, getting on you about that. But I want you just to imagine for a moment that you knew somebody who was, like, enslaved by sin, trapped in some type of mindset, like, like, like dealing with some challenges in their life that, 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 are, that are, like, you know, habitual of some nature, Imagine God actually using you in their life. Not where you had to call up your pastor and say, hey, could you pray for my friend? Could you imagine God using you to help bring freedom to somebody? Would that not be the most amazing thing you could imagine? Would that not be incredible? Would that not be like one of the most amazing things? So we are given this assignment to help people find freedom. Look at Matthew chapter nine. Okay, going back to, to, to a scripture I read, and I'm going to give you a little bit more. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Okay, we already read that one. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, uh, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, his apprentices, okay, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
That word send, this is where we get the word mission from, okay? One who was sent by God into the world to join the mission of Jesus. So he is telling his disciples, look, you see what I'm doing? I'm going out, I'm preaching the gospel. You see what I'm going out? I'm, I'm healing every sickness and disease. I'm going out, I'm driving out demons. You know what I'm doing? Ask the Lord to send out more people. Ask the Lord to send out more people to do what I'm doing. Matthew chapter 10, the next chapter, just, just like a few verses. So you gotta catch this, that Matthew 9, 35 through 38 happens, but then just a few verses later, right into the next chapter, he called his 12 disciples to him in, verse, in chapter 10, verse one, and gave them the authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. It's, it's kind of a big deal. And then verse seven and eight, he goes down and, says, and he tells his disciples, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near, okay? So preach the same message that I've been preaching. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Wow. Jesus is going, look what I did, and now I, I, I want you to do the same. Do you notice the pattern in these scriptures? So you have Jesus here, and he comes on the scene to teach, but he's more than a teacher. He's the Messiah, he's the Son of God who has come to usher in the kingdom of God, and he calls for his disciples, right? We didn't get the chance to go through all those scriptures, but he calls his disciples to him, apprentices to come along and follow him, and as a result, they live with Jesus, and they begin to live like Jesus. They begin to kind of take on his character. They begin to take on, uh, you know, a lot of his, his, his uh, you know, uh, his traits. They begin to adopt the examples and practices of Jesus, and over time, they become changed. They become people who are radically transformed by their time with Jesus, and then, then Jesus just tells them to start doing some of the things he's been doing. So, so, so he says, hey, you know, Peter, like you see that sick woman over there, like, like hey, go give it a shot. You know, like, like hey, you know, uh, Andrew, you see that demonized man, like, hey, go, go try it out, see, see what happens. You know, like, hey, John, like, like there's some people over there, why don't you go teach to them? And so what we see in the example of Jesus is it's something that is taught often in terms of leadership development, but we see the four stages of leadership development in Jesus's ministry. Maybe you've heard this before, but you, it looks like this. Stage one is I do, you watch. So we see this in Jesus's life where he's like, he starts out just doing all the stuff. And his disciples, man, they're so young, they're so green, they don't know what they're doing. So they're just like bystanders. They're people who just watch and observe what Jesus does. And then the second stage of leadership development is I do, you help. And we see this, an example is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and, and, and he does the big stuff. And then he's like, hey, why don't you, you know, you're probably at the point in your life where you could probably hand out some food. Why don't you take some baskets? You know, like they're at that stage of their development, right? Like you've just barely improved. Why don't you go like help me out and pass out some baskets? And then, and then the third stage of leadership development, and this is like what a lot of organizations use. Like you probably, you're probably familiar with that. The third stage is you do, I help. So Jesus sends them out, right? And, and, and uh, we, one of the examples is they go out, they try to, um, uh, drive out an evil spirit. They're, they're unsuccessful. So Jesus has to come along and he has to help them. And he goes, you know, hey, hey guys, like this is the kind that only comes out through prayer and fasting. Do you remember that story? So he comes along and he has to help them. And then, and then the fourth one is, is, is you do, and I'm just gonna sit back and watch. Like you're now at the point where, where you're gonna do the stuff that I did and I'm just gonna watch you do it. And this is like in Matthew 28 when he sends them out and says, you know, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Surely I'm with you all to the end of the age. And so this is the exact pattern we see Jesus map out one story at a time in the Gospels, meaning what? Again, bringing it back to th some things we've already mentioned if you're taking notes, that the end goal of apprenticeship is to do what Jesus did. It's the end goal of apprenticeship to Jesus. This is the end goal. 
Now, a little bit of encouragement for you, okay? I assume it takes about four years to be a plumber, okay? Right? I don't know. I, I, maybe a little more than that. But, but uh, uh, how many years do you think it's going to take to be Jesus? Like, it's going to take a bit, you know? Like, you're not, like, figuring this out overnight, Okay, you're not just like doing this, like you're not rolling out of bed and like, okay, I got this figured out. So apprenticing under Jesus means that there's a lifelong process. We're learning, like we're, we're growing. We are, but we desire to do things that we've never done before. We desire to see the kingdom of God come and set people free. We desire to see the kingdom of God flow through us to do some pretty amazing things in people's lives. We desire to be a prophetic witness to people in the here and now that there is something better than how you're living your life today. And so how do we do this? How do we do this? I feel like I got the pulpit a little late today. Is that true? I mean, I feel like it's, I mean, how is that possible? Uh, I feel like I did. Okay. This is where, the kind of message where I begin to lose a bunch of you. Because... You're going like, all right, I get it. Like, let's do what Jesus did. And maybe we're talking more like social justice things, or like smile to people, you know, you don't know, or, you know, whatever. Um, but like, man, Pastor Jordan, you're using like these pretty extreme examples. Like, am I really supposed to be someone who does this kind of stuff? Like, like am I, is that really what I'm meant to do? Like, yes. And, and I don't mean to freak you out. I just, let me just tell you some stuff, Okay. So the reason why you think that, and you think like, man, God could, how could God ever use me like this to help set people free, to be used in power in, in, in mighty ways? A lot of this has to do with just uh, th that we are living about two to 300 years after like the Enlightenment period, okay? And in the Enlightenment period, you have these free thinkers, these philosophers who really began to separate the natural from the, from the supernatural. That, that's really the first time in history where that began to happen in, in, in you know, a widespread way. And so when that began to happen, these philosophers, these thinkers began to just basically communicate that when it comes to Jesus, like we don't acknowledge that he's the son of God, but we'll acknowledge that he's, he's at least a great teacher, he was an incredible man, lived by some great principles, and you, you know, we all should probably maybe, maybe, maybe agree that those are things we should live by too, but they separated out natural from the supernatural when it comes to Jesus and said, like, yeah, we don't believe that he's, he's the son of God. And so well-meaning Christians, you know, godly men and godly women, their, their rebuttal, their response to, you know, the, the, the thinkers in the Enlightenment period was, was this. Well, then, how do you explain, how do you explain how he, you know, healed the sick? How do you explain how he walked on water? How do you explain how he, he fed 5,000 people? You know, like, like nobody could do that unless they're the son of God. And, and, and so what that began to do, like these were good, like mel, or, or well-meaning people who began to like, like think about, you know, you know they, they wanted to just sort of, you know, um, answer the, you know, the thinking of their day that Jesus wasn't divine. And what it has done is caused like massive issues in the years that have followed. Because when you actually read your Bible, you know, like, like the disciples actually do the same things that Jesus did. And yet we don't sit there and, and, and think that they were the son of God. You read, you read examples in the, in the Old Testament, you read, you read examples of people who, who uh, you know, like, like Moses, like splitting the Red Sea. You, 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 read, you read examples of like Elijah and Elisha and some of the amazing things, like, you know, walking on water, feeding, feeding, feeding people miraculously, doing actually a lot of the similar things that Jesus did in his ministry. None of us would sit there and say that they were the son of God. And so what, what we have to get our minds around is that there might be more to this Christian life and to this experience with walking with Jesus than what we've ever expected. 
And, and all I really want for you is, I don't want to freak you out. I want you to think like, ah, oh, this is so weird. Like, I, what I want you to think though and imagine for a moment is what could it look like for the power of God to come upon your life for the sake of someone else? What would that look like? What would that, here's how this works. Let me just give you, give you some ideas. I'm gonna give you some real, some, some six real statements and, um, and I'm gonna go through them like honestly really fast. So you wanna keep up. How, I think, I think when it comes to how do we do this, um, it all starts by understanding that when you became a Christian, it wasn't just for you. It's really important to understand. That's fundamental. That's foundational that when you became a Christian, it wasn't just for you. Now that flies in the face of this, of, of this privatization of faith in, in, uh, in our world, right? Where, where it's like, hey, you can believe what you want to believe, but just keep that to yourself. Like that, that's so not like what the scriptures teach. When you became a Christian, it wasn't just for you. God's whole goal for you was to use your freedom in Christ to make a difference in somebody else's life. Jesus wants to use us to help people settle some of the issues that keep them from being the best versions of themselves. He wants to use us to help people get free. So when you became a Christian, it wasn't just for you. Number two, just like the disciples were sent out as bringers of the kingdom, I too am being sent out. That's really, really, really important for you to understand. This is like, this is really important to your apprenticeship to Jesus. Similar to the disciples being sent out, you and I are people who are sent out every day, everywhere we go. We are, we are apprentices, we are disciples of Jesus, and we are bringers of the kingdom everywhere we go. My purpose and my destiny is not just to go to heaven. My purpose and my destiny is to bring heaven. That's a big thought. It's important to know that. We're not just living here to one day get to heaven someday. Like in the here and now, our purpose, our assignment is to make a difference in people's lives, and it really comes through being bringers of the kingdom. So, like I said earlier, anytime someone experiences freedom, it's evidence that the kingdom has come. This is why we hunger for this. This is, this is part of what it means to establish the kingdom, is to understand that like my life has been transformed by the goodness of God, and I wanna, I wanna take that good news and I wanna use it to help somebody else who, who is in bondage, someone else who, who, who is struggling, someone else who's going through you know, whatever they're going through. Like I am the carrier of the hope that they need to be set free, and it's, it, it establishes the kingdom. Here, uh, here's the number three. Uh, it goes along with this thought. A huge part of following Jesus is to help other people find freedom. A huge part of following Jesus is to help other people find freedom. And I, and I just want you to understand that like you cannot reach what you cannot see. And uh, that kind of flies in the face of a comment I made earlier about how this war is like an invisible war. Well then, yeah, I mean, we can't see it, right? But that's only because most of us only ever live with natural eyes. And a huge part of following Jesus requires that you live and put on spiritual eyes so that in moments, like I said earlier, you don't just see what's in the natural, you see what's behind the surface. You understand when you're dealing with people who are dealing with, with, with all kinds of junk and crazy and mess that there is something else happening underneath the surface and it's spiritual and, and, and that the enemy has a plan and assignment for their life and he's using you in this moment to make a difference and to release freedom and to help them find who they're supposed to be in Jesus. We have to have eyes to see the pain and the struggle. So then what we see on the surface is not the whole story, right? You, you know that. We just know that in general that you, can't, you shouldn't and you, you can't really judge a book by its cover, that when you just look at the surface and you look at what's in the natural, it keeps you from really understanding the whole story. So, so you know, we are meant to, like, like Paul writes about, he said, you know, in Ephesians 6, like our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. 
right? It's, it's against powers and principalities of darkness in the heavenly realms. And so, so we, we are facing, like, we are in a battle, an invisible battle, and people are too. They may not even realize it. That's why when I look at their behavior that is very off-putting and difficult and all their struggles and all their challenges, like, like, like I, I want to first ask myself, where are my eyes? What kind of eyes do I have on right now? Am I just looking at them in the physical or am I, am I wearing spiritual eyes so that I can see that the enemy is at work and he's trying to mess them up for eternity? I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been desperate for freedom yourself? Have you ever just faced some stuff? Like you just needed God to set you free. You needed God to do something in your life. Do you know anybody right now who is desperate for freedom? Maybe they don't even acknowledge that, but you would go, man, if God could just set them free, it would change everything about their story. Or maybe there's brokenness, maybe there's financial struggle, maybe there's physical issues going on in their life, maybe there's something going on, you're just like, man, if, if like the Spirit of God could come upon them and, and set them free, it would change their entire story. This is why we pray for the sick. This is part of the reason why we pray for the sick. Like, like we, we don't just, we don't just uh, you know, kind of just hope that maybe, maybe it'll happen. It's not just some, some like thing we do that's like religious and we think, you know, you know, let's give it a shot. It doesn't hurt at least. No, 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 no. Like, we pray for the sick because we firmly believe that God can set people free, that God has the power over life and death. And so, and so I mean, this is why we want you to be people who, who are not afraid to pray for somebody who is sick. This is why, this is why like, I don't want you to just, to just call us up when you have a friend or a family member who is struggling, who is, who is dealing with uh, an affliction or an ailment in their body. Like, what would it look like for you to lay hands on somebody who is sick and pray for them and release healing and freedom over them? What would that look like? To do what Jesus did, it requires us to carry the authority and the boldness of what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus, meaning we're taking the culture of heaven, we're taking the culture and the values and the ethics of heaven and of who Jesus is, and we're landing them to earth in people's lives. We're bringers of the kingdom. And that means that to bring the kingdom, we have to step into, we have to, we have to release the kingdom. So we see things that do not line up with the kingdom and we recognize that because we have spiritual eyes on and then we, we come alongside people and we, we pray and, and we, we contend and we declare and we ask for God to do the things that only he can do. Are you still with me today? Okay, Here, here's number four. If I don't feel free, I won't work very hard to help other people get free. Right? Do you know this to be true in your life? Like you are free. Like, like the scripture tells you that you are free, that you are set free. But what I have learned as a, as a follower of Jesus, that even though you are free, you can choose not to be. Do you notice that? Just because you are free in Jesus doesn't mean you can't choose to not be free. And what I have noticed time and time again, I, I've preached sermons on this before, a huge passion of mine is, is, is you know, to help people is built off this idea that there are many Christians seated in our churches all across America who are saved or headed to heaven, but they're not free. And so, and so you carry this, the, the, and you embody this message of hope that, that God can come into your life and set you free and change the story of your life. And yet a lot of us, we've responded to the good news of the gospel. We haven't necessarily res responded to the good news of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God wants to change your life in the here and now. It wants to, it wants to, to just remove things like addiction. It wants, to, it wants to, to, to remove from our lives the things that keep us from really living out the way Jesus would have us live out in the here and now. If I don't feel free, I'm not gonna work very hard to help people get that. Because I'm not gonna feel like, I, I'm gonna feel inauthentic. I'm gonna feel like an imposter. I'm gonna feel like someone who doesn't, who doesn't deserve to, to help people do this. And so I just wanna tell you that when we remain enslaved to the destructive patterns, habits, and mindsets, when we continue in sin, we will always struggle to lead people to a place that we have never been. You can't lead people to places you've never been. 
This is why it matters so much for the people of God to actually embody the freedom that only comes through Christ. To say no to our flesh, to do the hard work of, of like peeling back the layers of, of, you know, childhood trauma and, you know, environmental challenges we've faced growing up throughout our life of why we are who we are. This is why it's important to do the hard work so that Christ can set you free. And again, we can be a prophetic witness to the world that there's a better way. There's a better way. A couple thoughts. I'm, I'm closing it down. You guys can come on up if you want. When people look at my life, the thing they should covet most about me is my freedom. When people look at my life. Because if I'm really free, then I'm living differently than the average person. If I'm not bound up in like destructive thought thoughts and patterns, if I'm not bound up in sin, if I'm not living, you know, you know a, a life that is less than the abundant life, then, then, then I'm living a way that, like, most people don't live. And so when people look at me, when people look at you, the thing that they should covet most about you should be your freedom. It should be the most obvious thing about you. It should be the most attractive thing about you. And it's from this place of freedom in me that I am able to help other people find freedom. But so often there are just other aspects of our life that people are drawn to first. The thing that people, when they look at your life, should desire most is not what you have, what you own, what you've accumulated. It's not the influence that you have or the career that you've been given. The thing that people should, should be drawn to the most in you is the fact that you were once lost and now you are found. You were once in prison and now you are set free. And you and I, like, we have this responsibility to like, live this out in such a way that it is so noticeable. And oftentimes the reason why it's not noticeable is because we don't feel very free. We're not walking in the kind of freedom that we can and should be walking in. And then lastly, number six, freedom is meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared. It's kind of maybe a little redundant, but I think it's, I think it's, it's necessary. So if I was being held hostage, or you were being held hostage, and suddenly you found a way out, but in your escape, you didn't let the other hostages know that they could follow you to freedom, then you might not be using your freedom the right way. If you just like, all, a bunch of hostages, you're all just here, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I found the escape. And you don't tell anybody else that they can follow you to their freedom, you probably aren't using that opportunity the way you should be using that opportunity. And I think far too many times we forget about how bad it really once was. Like the longer you follow Jesus, the more you forget about how bad it once was. You forget about how, like what you really were caught up in, what the darkness really looked like. And so over time, we find ourselves sitting in our freedom and judging other people who are sitting in their brokenness. So we look at people's lives and we look at the pain and the challenge that they're in and and like maybe you've been walking with Jesus 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years and you're in your freedom and you're looking at their brokenness and it's so off-putting and it's so difficult to stomach and we forget like what it was once like. If freedom produces condemnation in you, it's not freedom. If freedom produces condemnation in you, it's not freedom. The freedom that we have in Christ should motivate us to help other people to find the freedom that we have been given because it's not meant to posture you towards arrogance in any way. It's meant to posture you towards serving others who are not yet free. 
We serve others who are not yet free. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. We don't wrestle what we see in the natural, what we see presenting itself, presenting behaviors. We're up against a different fight. We're up against a different kind of battle. We're up against a battle that is trying to literally kill people and take them to eternal damnation. That is what we are up against. And so we don't fight what we see in the flesh. We don't fight what we see in the natural. We recognize with spiritual eyes what is really happening. And then we go to work with the assignment that we have been given. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just, I'm like there. I'm like almost... Acts chapter chapter 16, this is the last scripture, is a story, Paul and Silas. It says that once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. You guys remember the story? She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So this is like, yeah, I mean, she definitely was, 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 was possessed by an evil spirit, which gave her a supernatural ability to tell the future, okay? The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she knew what's going on. Like the spirit that was in her understood the spirit that was in them, had no no confusion over what these guys were carrying. Verse 18 says, she kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So, other translations say that Paul didn't just become troubled, he became annoyed. He became like tired of it. He's like, it's, it's, this is over, I'm not doing this any longer. He became annoyed, he became tired, he became, he became frustrated with it, and he turned around and he commanded the spirit out. You notice that he doesn't, he doesn't like, he doesn't, he doesn't command the girl. He doesn't command the young girl, he commands the spirit. Because in that moment, Paul, he sees, he sees in the spirit what is really going on here. That it's not the girl, it's the spirit by which she is being empowered to do what she's doing. And so she, he doesn't allow himself to get caught up in the natural and in the physical. He allows himself to see the real story of what's happening behind the scenes. And I wanna just give you a thought as we close, that when you become bothered or annoyed by somebody and determined to avoid them altogether, you remove yourself from ever making a difference in their life. That's just true. But... Like Paul, when you instead become bothered or annoyed in your spirit by someone's bondage, pain, and suffering, you've now positioned yourself to make a difference. You've positioned yourself to make a difference because you're seeing it for what it is. And so I don't know what the presenting behaviors are in the people that you interact with, but what if you could have spiritual eyes to see that that's really not who they are? That's really not what's going on. That's, there's more to them. There's a better version of them than what I see and I want the Spirit of God to use me to help bring freedom to other people. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing that could happen for you? God, use you to make a difference for eternity. Would you stand up with me this morning as we get ready to close? Would you bow your heads for a moment as we, as we uh, get ready to, to dismiss? <clears throat> if you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you would just say, you know, Pastor Jordan, like I don't, I can't, like I can't even begin to imagine God using me to set people free unless I first find freedom myself. And you'd say, yeah, I, today, Pastor Jordan, like I gotta find some freedom. I need some freedom. I need freedom over my mindsets, my thoughts, my destructive patterns. 
addictions, whatever it is, I need freedom now in this place. Can I just see your hands? Every head bowed. There's nobody around you. Like, it's just us. Like, you need some freedom in your life. You need God to set you free. The Bible tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Not only is that encouragement for you right now, it's encouragement for you as you go and carry the Spirit of God with you because where the Spirit of God is in you, where you go, there's freedom available to you and to other people. And so, I, God, we ask you right now to just settle in this place, Holy Spirit, to move in power, to break off every chain, to break down every wall, to set people free by the authority of Jesus in this room. I speak to every spirit, every harassing spirit under the sound of my voice right now to be silenced, to be stopped, to move away. We send you to the foot of the cross right now where, where you belong and where the blood of Jesus dealt with this once and for all. I pray now, God, for you to just bring healing and wholeness to every mind that has been uh, just attacked for far too long. God, I, I, pray, I pray freedom right now over every person dealing with issues of purity in Jesus' name right now. I pray freedom and hope over every person that's just dealing with some issue of sin that's dark in them, that, you know, that not, you know, where, where shame has set in. I pray freedom over every ounce of shame in Jesus' name. I pray life and life abundant right now. Life and life abundant right now over, over your kids, over your people. May we embody your mission and your message. May the freedom that we experience right now be what we carry into the world and offer it and give it away to people just like you gave it to us. In Jesus' name right now, in Jesus' name right now, we silence every voice, every lie that we've partnered with. We break that off right now. I pray truth to just flood us in Jesus' name. I pray that we'd walk out of here just feeling lighter. You're feeling lighter on our toes, feeling lighter, like the burden has been peeled off our backs in Jesus' name. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. And so I thank you, God, that you've met with us right now to set us free in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.